listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm going to go through these nine things. I know you probably saw it in the, in the title, uh, dealing with nine habits of wealthy Christians. Um, I wanted to give you, I wanted to give you things that obviously I'm not just going to give you, uh, the basic stuff that we always talk about. Uh, the word of God leads to blessing. We know that, um, we know that following instruction from the word of God always leads to blessing. And so all of these obviously will be biblically based, but, um, I want to, I wanted to share with you, um, things that I've observed. Um, of course you, obviously you guys know we travel all the time. I get to be around a lot of people. I get to, that's, that's actually a really an awesome thing. It's a blessing to be able to be around so many people, um, in the kingdom And one of the things you start seeing um, after having been around people a lot is you start seeing patterns emerge. So um, it's funny, I've talked to Carolyn about this. You start to see patterns emerge in that uh, you'll notice certain people, uh, groupings of people, they're, they're so similar. They'll have the same things going on. I've even, it's even so uncanny that I've had it in the past where it's like, it's almost like same person, even their like spirit is the same. They act the same, same mannerisms. It's almost, and you know, don't know each other, two different parts of the country or even the world. And you could, you could talk to them and be like, you know, man, it's like, it's like he's the same as this other guy, just different name. You know, obviously they look different, but it's like same person in a different body. And so what you start to observe is that there are um, certain types of people. There's groupings of people. And um, once you start observing that, you start to realize that a lot of the same things that go right or go wrong in people's lives match up to the groups. It's actually very weird to see it happen. Um, To the point where you can almost predict, for example, you know, if something has not yet happened to someone, not that you're speaking evil over them. Um, but it's like, man, if, if they don't change the way that they are, uh, this is definitely going to, the same thing that happened in so-and-so's life is going to happen in in their life because it's almost like all of these traits, all of these things, uh, show up in these different groupings of people. And so it's, it's been amazing to see that over, you know, my, I've traveled for my whole life with a few breaks for college, but you know, it's so weird to see the groupings of people, um, that they're almost grouped together by their personality traits and their habits. And, um, and today I wanted to pull something out because, you know, I, I like to observe people. I like to see what people do right. And I like to see what people do wrong. And, um, so that I can learn from those things, not so I can be, you know, someone that condemns other people, obviously, but so that I can learn from those things so that I don't make the same, uh, mistakes. Um, and so I wanted today to really go through, I've, I've observed Christians who are truly 
blessed and wealthy. I'm talking about financially wealthy. And um, I've noticed that in that grouping of people that there are traits that are um, predominant for all of them. And And that's why I picked these nine because you can see them in like all of them. And it's almost like without fail, you know that these are going to be true like in all, in all their lives. And um, that's why I say that it's, it's, like, it's like that uh, in these groupings of people. So I want to cover them. And again, I don't want it to be, uh, it's not going to be the same types of things because I'm not necessarily dealing with the spiritual aspect today. I'm not going to deal with the spiritual aspect, although all of the things we're going to cover obviously would be backed up by biblical principles and scriptures and, you know, so, and which will give you some, but what, what I want you to see is these are practical things that these people are doing all the time that lead to them, uh, being blessed. You know, God does want to bless his children. There's no question about that. He's interested in blessing his children. He's interested in the financial well-being of his children. In fact, even people that don't believe in the prosperity message believe that. I, was, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was surprised to find uh, even the, you know, the late theologian R.C. Sproul, I was surprised to find he even believed that. And he's a reformed Calvinist uh, and believed that God was interested in the financial well-being of his children that they're not without and that they do have, you know, more than enough. So that's something that's believed. If you're a Christian, you believe that God's a loving heavenly father that wants his children to be blessed, even in the financial realm. But the question then you ask yourself is, well, then why aren't they all? (laughs) Obviously the question is why aren't all Christians blessed like that? Well, it's because God doesn't force these things on you but he does give you wisdom and understanding. And then he asks you to live according to those wisdom principles. It's like any covenant. You have your part to play and God has his part to play. And um, Bonnie, I will pray for you by the way and pray that God touches your stomach. Father, I pray right now that you touch Bonnie Benedict. Healing virtue flow into her body. Make her stomach well in Jesus name, amen. So I wanna give you nine. And for those of you that are listening, definitely take notes. Those that are on the live stream, uh, put these in the comments and, and take your own notes. And, and literally, if you'll put these to, into practice in your life, there's no question in my mind that you will see a drastic increase uh, financially in your own personal life. So I don't want um, to take a long time here at the out, outset because I, I know we have a lot to cover but let me give you these nine things and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll go through them. Number one, the first thing I've noticed about people who are financially wealthy, successful in the kingdom is that number one, they don't waste time. That's, that's a big one. They don't waste time. Um, the thing that I, I want to make a comment about here is that obviously it's not wrong. Uh, I'm not, I'm not teaching that like every single second of your day has to be like going hard and burning out. I'm not teaching that. What I'm saying is, is when most people, it seems as though when most people have free time, they will fill it 
with things that don't necessarily matter. And it's not wrong to do that sometimes. Um, but if that's your default, when you've got time on your hands and you immediately turn on the television, you immediately um, start playing video games or you immediately um, start scrolling social media or you do some kind of um, activity that is not beneficial to you moving forward, it's going to be a problem. And one of the thing, and AJ's exactly right, he says, even with rest, the rest is planned and purposeful. They don't just say, well, when I get some free time, I'm going to take a rest. Most of the successful people that I know, they actually schedule their rest at the beginning, uh, whether that be the beginning of the year, beginning of the quarter, beginning of the month they will put their planned rest time on their calendar and then they will not let anything block that time out or take that time away because they understand uh, the importance of it. And that's the same, you know, we've had to learn, learn to do that because it's not something that most people do by default. So you have to learn the importance of rest and then the importance of prioritizing rest. But again, this is something that, uh, is not going to happen by accident and they're not going to waste that time. They're planning for it. And so, uh, the key being there's not wasted time. Wealthy people don't waste time. Um, they don't, you know, I, I was reading a statistic about this the other day. Um, many of them little to no television time at all in their life, like little to none because they understand that. And I want you to put this in the comments time is the most valuable resource that you have time far more than money far more than money time is the most valuable resource that you have money can be gotten back time can never be gotten back and so we have to understand that time is the most valuable resource that any believer has, and it has to be used properly. It has to be stewarded. We steward our time. Um, I'll read to you Psalm 90 and verse 12. Listen to this. Uh, the psalmist writes, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let me uh, read something to you from the book of James. That was Psalm 90 and verse 12. Here is the book of James chapter four and verse 14. And, he, and he's, he's giving this as a warning, by the way. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for yet a little time and then vanishes. So do you see that warning from James? People think they've got forever. I mean, in all honesty, uh, people think they've got forever and they don't. Time, to quote Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. <laughs> I mean, in, in all honesty, time goes quickly. How many of you that are watching or listening could look back over your life 
And you can't believe, I saw a funny Instagram post the other day. Somebody put up a meme that was like, in my mind, 1970 was 30 years ago. 1980 was 20 years ago. 1990 was a few years ago. 2000 was a couple years ago. 2010 was just a, a last year. And it was like, you know, in, in your mind, you feel like not that much time's gone by, but in reality, time's flying. One of the most sobering things I've seen on Instagram was uh, a, a, a calendar that you can put on your wall. You know, raise your hand uh, in the comments if you're like my age, like 40, and you feel like, yeah, high school wasn't that long ago. I mean, you think, you almost think about it like, yeah, I mean, high school was just like a, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was 20 some years ago. And, and we, a lot of times we have this mindset like, yeah, that wasn't that long ago. It's, it's been two decades uh, and time's flying. And so one of the most sobering things I'd seen on, on Instagram was you can buy, maybe you saw it, you can buy this wall calendar. And this wall calendar is just like little squares. And, and it's, I guess they took like the average lifespan of a human being. Um, I don't know if that goes to 65 years old, 80 years old. I'd have to look back and see. But let's say it goes to like 75, 80 years old. Every square on that grid is a week of your life. And then if you put that on the wall, see the purpose of it is to just keep you motivated to understand time's going by quickly. If you put that on the wall and color in the squares of your life that have already gone by and you look at that and you're like, I've only got half my squares left. You know, you look at that and it's like half the squares on top are black half the squares on top or on the bottom are white because they're not yet filled in. And you think to yourself, um, I've only got half my squares of weeks left in life. You start to realize I better get to work. Things, time's flying, time's flying by. Um, one of, there's, there's another thing I saw um, on Instagram that they're trying to, uh, it was an ad that popped up where they're trying to get dads to be more engaged fathers and uh, the time they spend with their children. I think it's called Wonder Dads. But one of the things they do to like freak you out is they show you, um, you know, if your child is this age, you only have this many more weekends left with your child before they grow up and move away as an adult. Like, and it show, you know, when you think of it in the, in the term of like weekends, like I've got this many weekends to hang with my kids and then they're gone, you know what I mean? You know, if I was, if I was looking at Maddie, uh, Maddie's now 11 and, uh, let's say until she turns 18, uh, that's only seven years, right? So what, what is it? What, what is that? 350 weekends, uh, roundabout. I've got 350 weekends left with Maddie as my kid, Th- those kinds of things. What are they doing? They're pushing your mind to understand time is flying by time is flying by. And there's people that are just flippantly wasting time, flippantly wasting time. I don't see that taking place with wealthy believers. I don't see them wasting their time. It's something that they do not do. They don't waste time. Proverbs chapter six, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you 
like a robber and want like an armed man. So the wasting of time, you know, people don't even realize how productive they could be uh, and what they could do in the hours um, that they have available to them. You know, if you only work like an eight hour shift, you come home, you know, that's only a third of your day. Okay. You're going to, you're going to sleep probably for the other third, you know, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work that leaves you a whole other third of your day. What are you doing with that other free third? You know, there's people that have started businesses at home and they'll, they'll spend half of their free third, four hours a night researching and building and, and creating their own business or whatever it might be. And, um, and they, they literally will not allow themselves to waste that time. Can you imagine wasting a third of your day? Um, Mackenzie said, one of the things I've been trying to help myself in this area, I don't let myself sleep in anymore. That's right. On days off, wake up at the same time every day as much as possible. Um, I wanted to just do a, a small calculation on that because it's actually mind blowing. So let's say you wasted your, your third of the day. So eight hours times 365 equals that divided by 24. Oh my goodness. So listen to this. If you took your free eight hours. So again, I said, you know, we sleep for eight hours average. We work for eight hours average. That leaves us eight hours a day to ourselves to do whatever we want. If we waste that eight hours, right? Every day, that's eight hours times 365 days. That's 2,920 hours divided by 24. Do you realize you've wasted 121 days of your year if you waste that eight hours just doing stuff that's not productive, okay? 121 and a half days of your year are wasted by wasting that eight hours. Take that for the rest of your life, okay? Just, let's just say your, your, your productive years from 25 to 65, 40 years, uh, times 40, you have wasted 4,840 days of your life. 4,840 days of your life by wasting those eight hours. So, uh, yeah, it's a third of the year. Exactly right. So if you think about it, um, what could be done? There's so much that could be done in that time. That's yours, your free time. And I understand you have responsibilities and children and families and things like that. But even so half of that time, you know, after you put your kids to bed could be used doing productive things. And I've noticed that, uh, people that are wealthy financially, they do not waste their time. It's being used in a way that will benefit their future, that will benefit their family, that will benefit their purpose. And it's, it's not wasted. Think this and put this in the comments. My life is too valuable to waste. That's a mindset that every person needs to adopt. My life is too valuable to waste. Or even this, God's plan for my life is too valuable to waste. That's it, put it in. My life is too valuable to waste.
So that's number one. Wealthy Christians do not waste time. They do not waste time. Number two, and I've seen this everywhere I've gone. And obviously this is a biblical principle, but wealthy Christians are generous people. No question. Wealthy people are generous people. And I've obviously that, that goes along with the type of person that God blesses. We know that God blesses those who are generous, generous to the kingdom, generous to others, generous to the poor. No question. God blesses generous people. All of the wealthy Christians that I've been around. And of course, there's always the stragglers. There's always the ones that are the uh, uh, exception to the rule. But I'm talking about the majority. The majority of Christians that I have dealt with that are wealthy are also very generous people. And this is going to play into every area of your life. It's going to play into your tithing and your giving. It's going to play into your blessing the poor. It's going to play into your blessing your pastor. It's going to play into your blessing others around you with this mindset that I am an asset to my generation. You've got to have this vision. I have been sent to bless my generation. You got to, you got to have this. I have been sent to bless my generation. And see, when you understand that, see, one of the things that I will say is that some people almost push away wealth and riches because they feel like it's excessive. I'm telling you, people feel like it's excessive. Like, well, I don't need that much. How much does one really need? Well, listen, until I'm done with my purpose, I'll take all I can get. And I mean that, and more. If others don't want theirs, I'll take theirs. I mean that. There's nothing uh, selfish about it. There's nothing immature about it. There's nothing, nothing um, uh, shallow about it. Because anybody with a brain understands that you cannot accomplish all of the things God's put in your heart if you don't have the resources to do so. That's not shallow. That's called intelligent. And that's why we get to realize there's no, we shouldn't push away as Christians. We shouldn't push away the idea of being abundantly wealthy. We shouldn't push away. What we should push away is the temptation to love riches and to love money and to serve riches and to serve money. But the, the, uh, notion of being wealthy, um, you know, and having abundant wealth, you should never push that away. But people do because they've been taught things that are not proper from the scripture. Taking a vow of poverty is one of the dumbest things anyone could ever do. Am I saying that every priest in the Catholic church is dumb for doing that? Yes, it's exactly what I'm saying. Every priest in the Catholic church that's taken a vow of poverty, including the Pope, which he's not even impoverished, he's extremely wealthy, is stupid. That's the dumbest thing. God does not want you to be in poverty. Poverty was a curse for disobedience in the old covenant. It's a curse. Why would I vow to live under a curse? That's the stupidest thing I can imagine. I'm going to vow to live under a curse for the rest of life so that God will be pleased with me. He's not pleased. He looks at people like that and thinks they're morons. Doesn't mean he doesn't love them. He just thinks they're stupid. You know, God actually has a brain. 
And so, and I don't mean like a literal brain, he's a spirit being, but he thinks, he has thoughts. He's the creator of thought. And so he's all wise and intelligent. He doesn't appreciate stupidity. And so if he is the one who orchestrated the ability for his children to be blessed, it's a slap in the face to God to reject that because you don't think it's the right way to be. I'll never think that way. And I'm sure you won't either as the victory tribe, but generosity marks the life. How could I even be generous if I don't even have enough for me and my family? Did you ever think of that? How could I ever even be generous if I don't have enough for me and my family? If I'm struggling to keep the lights on and the electric and the water and the gas and the car payment paid and I can't even keep my mortgage and rent paid or whatever, how in the world am I going to be a blessing or an asset to my generation if I can't even get my own stuff taken care of? Well, then you go to the next level where people are like, well, then I just need my needs to be met. That's all that I'm believing for, brother. Really? What a small vision you have to just, and and you want to talk about selfishness because people try to peg those that are wealthy or building wealth. Oh, they're selfish. How much money does one person really need? They peg those people as selfish. But can I tell you who the, the selfish Christians really are? The ones that are truly selfish are the ones who only are worried about themselves. Well, as long as my needs are met, I don't need any more. What a selfish being. Because how can I be a blessing to others? How, I can't help the poor if only my needs are met. I can't be a blessing to my generation if only my needs are met. I have to have. I mean, think about this. Just by virtue of logic, I have to have excess if I'm going to be a blessing to others. I must have excess. I want you to put it in the comments. I must have excess. How in the world can I ever complete God's plan for me to be a blessing if I don't have excess? I've got to, and generosity is key. I've seen it in every uh, wealthy Christian that I've been around with the exception of of a small few Maybe they inherited their wealth. Maybe they just don't understand how to, to, to hold on to it. Many of them don't. But generosity is, is the second key. Generosity. That's what I've, I've noticed that. And of course, that's a biblical principle. Number three, this is a big one. This is a big one. Get ready to write this point down and do your utmost to apply it to your life. The third thing I've seen with wealthy Christians is they don't depend on their job slash career for their wealth or their money. They don't depend on their job or career for their wealth or for their money. They just don't. And so people that I've been around that I've watched that have an excess, they don't spend the rest of their life thinking, you know, because here's the thing, if, if you are going to depend, if your value in life depends on how much a boss is willing to pay you, uh, then they've capped your future. And so the only answer for you now is, uh, well, if I'm going to have more money, 
that means that I have to work more hours because that's just what they've capped me at. Unless I get a raise, this is what I make. And so if I want more money, I have to work more hours. Well, what does that do? Now it takes you away from your family. It takes you away from the free time that you had, your eight extra hours, your third of the day. And so if you're going to depend on that for your future, then you're capped. You can only, because there are only 24 hours in a day. There's only 24 hours in a day. And so what are you gonna do? You can't work the full 24 hours. So how will you ever break past the place where you're capped for your future? They don't do that. Wealthy people, that any wealthy people that I've been around have taken their excess and they create something that will constantly create and increase wealth for them. It's called passive income. And every wealthy Christian that I've been around, unless they just inherited money, I'm talking about those that have wealth creation, are those who trust the Lord. Now, let me say two things about this. They don't depend on the job. In principle, they also don't depend on their passive income. They depend on the Lord. They understand that God is their source. That's why they don't depend on their job or their career, that my boss is not my source. My 401k is not my source. My Roth IRA is not my source. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who is my source. And so I'm not telling you that, you ha- that you're to depend on your passive income. Your hope, your trust, your faith is in the Lord. Now the Lord will give you ideas and the Lord will give you wisdom and he'll give you revelation about what to do. But what I'm saying is they don't depend on what they do with their time. Because what are you going to do when you can't put that same time and strength and energy in? You're going to take a pay cut? Or are you going to have something in place that is going to be making money while you're doing nothing? And all the wealthy Christians that I've been around, that is what they do. Let me read to you an interesting verse of scripture from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11. And verse two, listen, let me read you verses one and two. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Listen to verse two, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Think about that. Let me, let me read you this, this uh, translation. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Do you know what that, do you know what that really amounts to? Diversified investing. <laughs> Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's what this is teaching. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, invest in eight ventures. Diversification of your investment. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have things that are making money for you. And if if not, ask yourself, why don't I, which I'll deal with in a minute, go to Proverbs 13 and verse 11 and listen to this. It is crazy, Mackenzie. Verses for everything. 
Proverbs 13 and verse 11. Listen, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Hmm. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The previous scripture, Pam, was Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says to invest in seven ventures or even eight. It's talking about diversification. I'll go back to that in a minute. I want, to, I want you to see Proverbs 13, 11. Whoever gathers little by little, yeah, it was Ecclesiastes um, 11, And verse two, whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Now, there's a few reasons for this, in my opinion. Uh, Wealth gained hastily. They don't appreciate what they've gotten quickly, whether that be by the lottery, whether that be by a, a huge amount of inheritance that came from a wealthy relative, whatever it is. They didn't have to work to get it. They didn't have to develop their uh, knowledge, their discipline, their character. And so because they didn't have to, they don't have what it takes to keep it for most of the time. And most of them lose it. And that's what the Bible's teaching. But he who gathers little by little will increase it. Why? Because in order to gather that way and steadily, you have to have the principles in place to increase what you've got which means it takes discipline and it takes responsibility and it takes time and it takes intelligence, faithfulness. But I wanted to go back because look at, look at Ecclesiastes 11 again. Um, it's, it says, you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Ecclesiastes 11 two. look at verses three and four. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the South or the North in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. But he who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. I want you to see that. If you obey scriptural principles only in times that look favorable, you'll not be blessed. There's always a thought that comes to you. Well, now's not really the time to sow. Now's not really the time to sow largely. Now's not the time to step out. Now's not the time to start my business. Now's not the time. There's always going to be. And the enemy will send people to you to fortify those thoughts in your mind. Oh, now's not the time to start a business. Now's not the time to do this. Now, and they'll always be there. But if you regard the uh, clouds, if you regard the wind, you'll not step out. You won't sow. There's always going to be people that tell you now's not the time. But you follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and not people. But the key here is that you're not just depending on a job. What are you going to do with your other eight hours? What, what are you going to do? Are you going to create something that will continually make you money? That's what I've seen every wealthy Christian do. They don't depend on working nine to five. Um, a great book, if you'd like to read it, I think it would be beneficial to you. It's a book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Workweek. Check it out and see what you think. Read it and see what you think. There's got to be something you can do as a Christian that's, that's going to, number one, build wealth for the kingdom, but number two, not wear you out for the rest of your life so that you can't engage in the things that God's called you to do. 
And so every wealthy Christian that I've seen has found a way to um, not have to depend on their nine to five. I've just watched it happen. And the Bible backs that up. Number four, put this in your, in your notes. The fourth thing that I've seen, the fourth habit of wealthy Christians is that they are always learning. Always. Always. I've never seen people that are overflowing, that have excess, that have an abundance, that have just frozen in time. I've never watched, this is live, Mary Beth. I've never watched people who are uh, wealthy just stay frozen in time. I've never seen it. I see them constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly reading, constantly acquiring new skill sets. That's what I've watched. And and it, it is a key. I mean, I've used this scripture before where the apostle Paul is literally in jail and he's writing to his sons in the gospel and telling them, hey, when you come to visit me, don't just bring my cloak, but also bring my parchments and bring my books and bring my notes. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm in jail. I'm at the end of my life, but I'm still not going to stop learning and I'm still not going to stop studying. And so every person that I've watched that has built wealth, in fact, there, there are statistics on this. You could Google it. I don't have the time to give them all to you, but I know Dave Ramsey posted some of these on his website, took some flack for it, but he was outlining the differences between rich and poor people. One of the things that was mind blowing is that a large percentage, I believe it was in the eighties, maybe nineties, a large percentage of wealthy people continue learning after school and studying to further their career or their purpose. While only a small percentage of poor people do that thing. Only like eight or nine people, a percent of people, uh, maybe 11 at the most, are doing that in the poor community. These are habits that do change you. And so uh, all of these people that I've ever met are people, and, and I'll show you by the end, a lot of these things play together. They play together, uh, but they're always learning. All right, let me give you an example here. We just de- dealt with um, three and four, right? They don't depend on their job. They come up with a form of passive income, but also number four, they're always learning. Well, you say, well, here's my deal. I, I don't know how to do anything that would create a passive income. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to create a job from home or or to work from home on my free time. Um, You've been given the gift of the internet (laughs) and you can literally learn anything on YouTube, Skillshare, all these different websites that have been given to you to learn new skills. So what if you were gonna begin in real estate? What if you were gonna begin in investing in cryptocurrency? What if you're gonna begin investing in the stock market? What if you're gonna just create a business that uh, prints things and ships from home or whatever it might be, whatever, whatever it is. All the things you need to know to make that a reality can be learned for free online. So let's, let's, let's put together three of the four that we've already covered in this list. Number one, Wealthy people don't waste time. Number two, 
They don't depend on their job. And number three, they're always learning. So, okay, I've got a job, but also in my other eight hours, I'm not going to waste those hours. Rather than sitting around binge watching Netflix, I'm going to figure out what it is that I'm going to do that's going to make me passive income from home. And then I'm going to study my butt off on, on YouTube and online to figure out what it takes for me to get involved in that uh, arena and be successful in it. And I'm going to become a master of it and learn everything there is to know from people that are actually doing it. And then I've just covered three of the four we've already gone through to, to continue to build wealth. And here we are. I'm not wasting time. I'm continuing to learn and I'm creating a way that I don't have to depend on my job. Think about that. And that's only four of the nine we're going to cover. It's mind blowing because if you just put these together, you'll see God has a way. And, and let me say this as a Christian, you should be more intelligent than anybody else that's out there because you have an advantage that is the Holy Spirit. It's an advantage. All right, let's go on to number five. The fifth thing that I see wealthy Christians do that uh, others are not doing. I find that wealthy Christians are problem solvers. They locate and they notice problems and they solve them because your value as an individual is um, determined by the problems you solve. There's no question about that. Your value, what people are willing to pay you or what they're willing to give you is based upon what problems you're willing to solve in life. And if you solve common and big problems, then you will be rewarded accordingly. Uh, you know, look at David. David understood this. What was the major problem for Israel? It was the Philistines and Goliath. Notice that David wasn't even willing to kill Goliath until he found out what is to be given to the man who kills this Philistine. Did you notice David wasn't risking his life for nothing he wanted to know, what are the benefits? If I'm going to go out there and fight, what do I get? He was solving a problem, but he understood, I'm going to receive a reward for what I'm about to do. He didn't do it for honor alone. He didn't do it for honor alone. And you begin to realize that problem solvers, you know, let me just encourage you to do something. Whenever you're annoyed by something, how something went or how something worked, Instead of just being annoyed by it, use the annoyance as a trigger and then say, what thing could I do to make this work better? And, and guess what? If it's a common problem, then you've got yourself a side business, my friend. You've got yourself a side business, which people, all the people that are annoyed at that thing too, are going to pay you because your way is better. Your way is better. You know, it was just an average person that came up with the idea that they were sick of going to shave and finding out, oh, they don't have any more razors left in their case. And they're sitting around thinking like, I don't want to get in my clothes and go over to Walmart and buy more razors. I, I don't want to go to Target. I don't, you know, so they just don't shave. 
And it was just an average person that said, you know what, we need to just come up with some sort of a shave club where people ship razors to your house every month or whatever it is. It's just an average person that came up with that. And they solved a problem because obviously there were plenty of people that were sick of running to Walmart and sick of running to Target because they were always out of razors. And so they, somebody's making money now. Somebody's making money. And so you're a problem solver. What problems do you see? What, what things annoy you? What could be better in your day-to-day life? You know, whatever it is, God will give you the wisdom to solve that problem. You can create something out of it and it'll become something that you're paid for. And that's the key. All of the people that I've met that are problem solvers. It's, it's amazing. The skills that I'm teaching Marcus in this, in this broadcast Exactly the things that I'm teaching in this broadcast are, are things that people should learn. And so the, the, even if, even as a minister, if your ministry is only dependent upon what you have in your ministry, you're going to be limited. Look at the ministries that are doing the most, that are the most, um, most blessed, I, sh- I would say in that way, financially. Do you think all they're depending on is the money in their ministry? They're not. You look at the brother Kenneth Copeland's and the brother Jesse Duplantis's and those that have bought land and then found on their land, you know, oil deposits and gas deposits and natural gas to the point where, you know, brother Duplantis has his own, I mean, he has so much oil coming out of the ground on the land that he owns he can actually have them create their own jet fuel from the oil that he has and sell the remaining oil. I mean, like things that they have on the side, investments, things that they've done because of wisdom that God's given them. I'm just telling you, God will do that for you. Become a problem solver. What problems do you see? Let them spark you into creating something that's better that will cause you to be blessed. And I've seen that. I've watched it. Allow the things that annoy you to open your mind to see, you know what? I could do that better and be paid for it. And you should. Let me give you another one that that slows people down. Number six, give you another habit of wealthy, um, wealthy Christians. That's awesome, Lenan. Number six. The sixth habit of wealthy Christians, they are not manipulated by popular thought. They are not manipulated by popular thought. Anybody that's any, done anything of significance was always told it couldn't be done. <laughs> How many of you ever think of that? Anybody who did anything of significance was told that it couldn't be done. And most of the time, it shouldn't be done. It's probably what they were told also. They're not manipulated by popular thought. Don't tell me I can't do this. You know, well, you can't be a successful minister and still do do that. Or, you know, like I was talking, there's people that are are going into full-time ministry watching. And I'm sure there's people that have probably said, well, you can't be a successful minister and still be an, an investor at the same time. 
You have to do one or the other. That's not true. That's not true. Well, you can't, you can't be a successful minister and do this also, or you can't be in the ministry, but also have, it's not true. It's not true at all. And here's what you'll realize. If you're smart, you'll find a way to do things so that your personal time does not have to be taken up. You'll find a way to create a margin wherein your personal time does not have to be uh, messed with in order for you to have that money made. You can absolutely do that. You know, you contract somebody. You know, if I was going to go flip a house, I'm not going to go in there and do all that work to save a few extra dollars. My, my time is more, is more valuable than the time it takes to go in there and do the work myself to save a few extra dollars on the margin on a house flip. I will contract somebody to do it. I'll put the money, I'll buy the house, but I'm not, you understand, you have to make up your mind that your time is valuable. And so for some people, if you're not in full-time ministry, you're do, maybe you're going to go into that full-time. Maybe it's worth it for you to go in there and do all that work to refurbish and remodel that house you're going to flip. But for me, it wouldn't be worth it because my time's more valuable than that. I, I would rather take the money. Okay, for, for example, um, if I bought a house, let's say I bought a house for, you know, just for the sake of easy numbers. Let's say I bought a house for $100,000 and I knew that I could fix it up for 20 grand and, uh, and then make $150,000. Okay, well, I could fix it up for 20 grand and have a margin where I made 30 grand. But I also could find out that I could pay a contractor $10,000 to do that work. So what did I do? In, in total, it cost me 30,000 to fix the house up instead of 20,000 because I had to pay the contractors. So I still make 20 grand, but you understand my time and frustration is worth more than $10,000. And so if I'm doing other things like in the ministry, I'll take the 20 grand profit and then go do it again. You see what I mean? It, because I'm not going to go out and, and, and waste all my time you tearing down drywall and rebuilding it and running electric when I could pay somebody $10,000 to do it and still make a $20,000 profit and I'll just do it again and then I'll do it again and then I'll do it again. You see what I mean? Because my time is more valuable than that. So don't get caught in this. Don't get caught in this trap. Of, well, if I don't, if I do that, I won't have any more time. Find a way to do it to where you still have your time, but the thing can still be done. I was just talking with somebody not long ago that owns a business and they said, you know, their, their thing right now is they want to have more sales. They want to get out there more. I said, you should be out in every public area selling your stuff. And they said, well, I, I would like to do that, but I also have other obligations. I have kids. I said, pay a young person to take your stuff over there and give them a cut of the sales and say, listen, if you'll sell this many, I'll give you this much and whatever. I said, not only will it get your name out there, you'll have money coming in and your time won't be taken up doing the thing. You have to think like that. If you don't think like that, you'll always bog yourself down doing all the stuff and then nothing new can happen. You can't do that. So you're not manipulated by popular thought. Well, the popular thought is that can't be done. 
oh, well, I don't have time. Find a way to make time or get someone else to do it for you and pay them accordingly. See, that's, that's the key. So wealthy people that I've seen, they're not manipulated by popular thought. They, they don't believe that you only have to be one thing and you can't do other things. And they don't believe that. They find a way to make it happen. And even when people say it can't be done, they find a way to make sure it's done and they don't get talked out of their dream because popular thought says they can't. What were you going to say to the Wright brothers who said, you know, you can't make men fly in the sky. Men don't have wings. Men can't fly. Men, men aren't supposed to be, men and women aren't supposed to be flying through the sky like birds. They didn't believe it. People probably told them it can't be done, but then they invented the airplane. So, I mean, you know, flight is now possible. So don't listen to the popular thought that it can't be done or shouldn't be done. Find a way and let the Holy Spirit guide you to the place where it can be done. That's number six. Number seven, the seventh thing I've seen from wealthy Christians is that they are people who are thankful all the time versus having self-pity all the time. I want you to think about that. They're thankful instead of being full of self-pity. This is a massive, massive lesson to learn. They're thankful people not those who wallow in self-pity. Because here's what happens. When you're a thankful person, the whole mindset changes. The whole mindset, it takes you from the negative to the positive. It takes you from, uh, from being somebody who is uh, a pessimist to an optimist. And I'm telling you, aside from the Bible promises of the blessings of God for thankfulness, on top of that, you've got even what they're finding out now, how it affects your body as a person. When you allow yourself, I mean, I could go into it, but you know, it's, it's not, a, it's not an, a, a, to me, just like fasting. God knew what the uh, natural benefits of fasting would be for the human body as much as the spiritual benefits with fasting and prayer. In the same way, he knew what thankfulness would produce versus self-pity and playing the victim. And now even doctors and uh, psychologists are recognizing that there are chemicals released in your body when you keep yourself in that type of a mindset. You know, serotonin. They, they, they go through all the chemicals that are released in your body when you keep yourself in that place of thankfulness, when you don't hold grudges, when you're not mad at people, when you're not um, somebody that's vindictive. And uh, you know, they've even proven, I was reading this this morning, they've even proven by case studies that people who are just grateful for life uh, without any stipulations live longer and are more healthy than people that are um, forgiving and grateful with a clause, like, well, if they'll apologize, then I'll be forgiving. They, they don't do as well as those that are just forgiving and thankful and grateful without any stipulations. And that's the key is because the moment you put that stipulation out there, other people control your life, whether or not they apologize controls your life, whether or not they treat you well controls your life. Because in all reality, what's happening is the way other people treat you and how you react to it is going to determine literally the health of your body. And so you have to refuse that. 
I'm thankful no matter what. I'm grateful. You focus yourself on the things, you know, if you have a problem focusing on um, the things you have to be thankful for, you're not even looking close to hard enough. Do you, st- you wake up this morning and I mean, the things we have in America are so superficial, you know, like you look at just the blessings of America in general, look at people that suffer around the world. And, and this is a nation that's blessed. People have so many reasons to thank the Lord for what's going on in their life. Do you have a family that loves you? Do you have a roof over your head? Are you, uh, alive? <laughs> I mean, literally, Uh, Are you not disabled? Are you a paraplegic? I mean, I've seen paraplegics that quadriplegics that are more thankful than people that have everything together. You've got to set your mind on things above. See, that's where Paul was, was training the church. You set your mind. You don't allow your mind to set you. You set your mind. It's very important because when you're being thankful, You're choosing to be thankful. You either have to choose to be thankful or choose to wallow in self-pity. That's why you guard yourself from the people that are around you. You don't surround yourself with people who are, have a victim mentality. If you do, you'll turn into that person. I don't wallow in self-pity. I'm thankful. I rejoice. I'm grateful. All the wealthy people I've ever been around focus on that. They're not sitting around saying, well, that's why I can't. This is why nothing goes right for me. This is why I'm going. They don't, they don't act like that. Poor people act like that. People that have no motivation act like that. And I'm just telling you, it's got to be uh, a attitude of gratitude, as they say. It's got to be gratefulness, thanksgiving that fills your life. That's number seven. Uh, number eight's massive. It is massive. The wealthy Christians that I've been around. Number eight, they listen to the Holy Spirit. They listen to the Holy Spirit. So vital. Because the Lord will give you insight that other people do not have. That's the advantage I was talking about earlier. The Lord by his spirit will give you insight that other people do not have. And when the Lord gives you that insight, the Bible says in Isaiah 48 and verse 17, I am the Lord, your God that teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. So there's a way you should go that the Holy Spirit will lead you in that will cause you to profit or to increase financially even. See, that's the key. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. I'll not lack any good thing. Why? Because he's my shepherd and I'm listening to his voice. If I'll listen to the Holy Spirit, he will never lead me into decrease. I want you to put that in the comments. If I listen to the Holy Spirit, He will never lead me into decrease. The Holy Spirit only leads you into increase. He does not lead you into decrease. It's not God's desire that you suffer, be without. See, people have a hard time understanding the message of suffering. 
And when you look at the message, I know people mock word of faith people for what they believe about suffering, but it's because you don't properly understand the context of suffering. What Jesus promised is that Christians would suffer persecution. And that's been going on for 2000 years and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Suffering persecution, but we don't suffer with the things that Christ has redeemed us from number one. For example, uh, it's very interesting that if you look at it, God gives you principles to be blessed, but then also, do you think God wants you to suffer in the effects of sin as a Christian? Do you think that he wants you to suffer the effects of sin? Of course not. That's why the, the new Testament is filled with apostles writing back to the churches, encouraging them not to live in sin because we know the wages of sin is death, not just eternal death. So sin kills everything it touches. It'll kill your relationships, your mind, your body. Do you think God wants his children suffering in the, the consequences of sin on the earth? No. Well, do you think he wants his children suffering in the consequences of sickness? No, because that's why you look at Jesus ministry. Jesus literally healed every person that came to him in faith. Every person. He treated sickness like an enemy and he destroyed it. Everywhere he went to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said about him. That's Matthew chapter eight. So Jesus treated sickness like an enemy. You're not going to be able to make a case from the New Testament that God's desire is that some of his children be sick. You won't make that uh, case because it's not the case. And so you're going to talk about suffering with things that Jesus redeemed us from? No, we're not supposed to suffer with those things. God doesn't want you suffering uh, financially either. Let me, let me just say this. If, if that was God's desires that some Christians suffer financially, why do you think Paul was taking uh, an offering in 2 Corinthians 9 for another group of Christians in another place who didn't have as much as the ones he was taking the offering from? If it was God's will for those Christians to just be in the state they were in, why didn't just Paul say, well, you guys here in Corinth are abounding, but over there, those Christians, uh, they're, they're at a very low place financially because that's where God wants them. No, he said, let's take some of your excess and bless them because we want them to be blessed. Why do you think in the early church in the book of Acts, they sold even the excess stuff that they had and everyone in the community of believers was blessed to abundance because that's God's desire. That's why it's not his desire that you suffer, but you will suffer persecution, but you have to understand the context or else you get your theology screwed up. You listen to the Holy spirit. And as you listen to the Holy Spirit, he leads you and guides you into increase. It's what he does. It's what he does. And so if you'll listen to his leading, he'll give you a check in your spirit. If you're not supposed to go in a certain direction, should I buy this property? Don't buy that. You'll feel it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Buy this one. Well, it doesn't look like the right one. Buy it anyway. It's the one I'm telling you. And then you buy it, like some of these have done. You buy a property for no reason. You don't even know why you're buying the land. And then all of a sudden, there's uh, natural gas deposits and oil deposits that are discovered on the land. The Holy Spirit led me to buy the property. You see what I mean? And so it's, it's just an amazing thing. When you listen to the Holy Spirit, he guides you into all truth. It, it's, it's, it's the greatest advantage any Christian should ever, could ever have. It's amazing. Hey, Quentin, let me give you number nine. The ninth habit I've seen on wealthy Christians around everywhere, everyone I've been around is they are always willing to change their methods. I'm blown away by people that think they have to stick to their methods. They have to stick to this. It's why we've always done this. It's why we're going to do it. I've been blown away by people who feel romantic about the way they've done things. Things change, man. Things get better. Things are improving. <laughs> There's better ways to do things. So don't get romantic about the way you've always done it. If you need to change your method, change your method. It, nothing is worse than somebody who is stuck in a certain way of doing things because that's the way we've always done it and that's the way we're going to do it. There's better ways to do things now than there ever have been. And if, look, if you're doing something and it's not working, don't get into pride and be like, well, I'm going to keep on doing it until it works. Don't do that. If it's not working, don't work it. Do something else. As if there's some pride and like, I'm just going to stick it out for the next 30 years and bang my head against a brick wall, even though it's not working. There's no pride in that. It's just straight stupidity. It's just straight stupidity. And so, um, you know, it's like God doesn't even expect you to do that. Let me give you an example in the scripture. Jesus told his disciples, as you go out preaching the gospel, go into these cities. If they don't receive you, notice he didn't say, well, just stay there, plant, set up a, a headquarters. And for the next 20 years, pr preach to them until they get it. No. He said, just shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. Go somewhere else not bang your head against a brick wall for 20 years. If it's not working, change it, change it, go somewhere else, do something else. You know, we launched our TV ministry this year. Now we're on television around the world, but I had one of the stations we were on here in Florida. Wasn't working for whatever reason. Wasn't working. Was on it for plenty of time for it to work. Wasn't working. So you know what? I'm not going to waste money on something that's not working. Instead of that, I'm going to go on something different that's going to add 39 million more people in viewership and be more productive because it's an area that I already see working. So I'm going to expand what I see working and I'm going to delete what doesn't work. And people that are uh, wealthy and successful are always willing to quickly make a change to something that'll work better. They will not 
allow themselves to be bogged down in methods or in anything, investments, anything that's not working. If it doesn't work, then don't be involved in it. Get out of it. Get out of it. You got to learn when to shake the dust off of your feet. Um, and, and there are plenty of times to do that. Don't, don't just get into a tradition of doing something. Put this in the comments. Tradition cancels God's transaction. Tradition cancels God's transaction. Tradition cancels God's transaction. I'll give you scripture for that. Genesis 26. Tradition cancels God's transaction. Look, Genesis 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, look at this, look at this. What did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I'll tell you. Sojourn in this land and I'll be with you and bless you for to you and your offspring. I'll give all these lands and establish the oath I swore to Abraham your father. I'll multiply your offspring. So notice what he said. Don't go down to Egypt. What was God saying to him here? Don't do what your father did. Interesting. Don't do what your father did. I'll read this to you here. Scriptural note. Because this came from Genesis 12:10. Do not go to Egypt. The words echo Genesis 12:10, which reports that Abram went down to Egypt. That's Genesis 12:10. So his father went down to Egypt. But then God speaks to the son and says, "Don't go down to Egypt." But Isaac could have done what a lot of people do. Well, that's what our family does. You know, we go down to Egypt. You know, that's our, that's, that's how our family's operated for years. You know, we go down to Egypt. That's our tradition. We do it this way. That's what, that's what we do. You know, my son Jacob's also going to go down to Egypt because that's what we do. We go down to Egypt, but notice God spoke to him and says, and said, don't go down to Egypt. Hmm. Interesting. So you start to realize trans tradition cancels God's transaction. Don't do something just cause you've always done it. Don't do it. Be willing to try something, step out on it, do it. If it works, do it more than anything. Listen to the Holy spirit. That was point number eight. And literally Here's where it sometimes gets hard. You're doing something you've done for a long period of time. And then the Holy Spirit gives you an instruction and says, do something different. 
And I was like, well, hold on. That, that seems like, that seems, I've never done that. <laughs> I've never done that. And I, I don't know how to do that. And, and a lot of times people will talk themselves out. Listen to me, because this is so important. There are people who will talk themselves out of obeying an instruction from the Holy Spirit because it's something that might seem foreign to them or it's something that they may not know a lot about, or it's something that they don't feel qualified to do. And so they say, well, maybe, maybe that was just, and they'll find a way to talk themselves out of it. Don't do that. Be willing to change what you've always done. Be willing to change the direction in which you're traveling. Be willing to do something completely different. Imagine if Abram would have just done what he continued to do. He got a word from God. Go out, take your son Isaac to the place that I'll show thee and sacrifice him there to me. Okay. I'm doing it. I'm moving forward. I'm in the desert. I'm moving forward. I'm finding mountains. I'm moving forward. I find the mountain. I tell my servant to stay behind. I move to the top of the mountain. I get my son up there. I build the altar. I do all that. I'm still moving forward. And then he's got the knife. Son's laying on the altar and he's coming, ready to come down with the knife. And the angel says, wait, don't do it. Well, this is what I've been doing that we've been traveling, we've been looking, we've been searching, we found the mountain, we're doing all that. This is what we've been doing. And all of a sudden, now the Lord gives him an instruction to do something different. If Abram would not have been willing to stop his hand, then he would have destroyed the thing that God promised him would cause him to be the father of many nations. He would have destroyed his destiny by not being willing to switch. <laughs> Put it in the comments. Be willing to switch. Be willing to switch. Be willing to switch. Because remember this, and I'll, I'll close with this and then we'll pray. Remember this. There is no maintenance mode in the kingdom of God. There is no maintenance mode. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You're either gaining ground or you're losing ground. There's no in between because God always has an instruction for your life. He always has a direction for your purpose and you've got to be willing to switch because you're never maintaining. Maintenance mode is not in the kingdom. You're either increasing or you're decreasing. You're gaining or you're losing. You don't stay in the same spot. You know, again, to use my life as an example, I, you know, I had no plans whatsoever to move to Florida, you know, and, and, and there was no reason. That's the other thing. There was no reason for me to move to Florida. None, none at all, none at all. Other than the Holy Spirit said to switch, that's it. Just the Holy Spirit said to switch. And I could have talked myself out of it. I could have said, well, I've never liked Florida. My wife came from there and said she'd never go back. But what, I, what, you, what you fail to realize when you do that is that if you stay in a place or doing a thing that you've always done after the Holy Spirit gives you an instruction, what you don't realize is that you're in passive disobedience. <laughs> Put that, put that phrase in the comments, passive disobedience. 
It's not that I actively went and did something wrong. It's that I was told to go do something and I'm not doing it. I'm in passive disobedience. And so the blessing is always in doing what the Lord's leading you to do. And if I would have just said, well, that's just my own idea. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here. I got a nice house here in Virginia. I got a nice, uh, I'm around all my family and all this stuff. I could have said all that. I could have said all that. I could have stayed where I was. I was already blessed. But now I see my friend Ben Fole. Love you, buddy. Now, without question, and less than four years later, less than four years, and I could say this in less than two years, I am far more blessed. I don't mean a little bit more blessed. I'm talking far more blessed. I mean life-changing more blessed. Less than two years after I made the, uh, the decision than I was previously. And it only has to do with obeying the instructions of the Holy Spirit. That's it. The instructions of the Holy Spirit. And I am far, our ministry is far more blessed. Far, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. I mean, I, it's like our, our staff, you know, when I left Virginia, we, we had one person working with us. One, you know, now we've got like five and then we also have people that are interning. So, I mean, like, you know, that's 500% growth in your staff. And then you've got people helping. I didn't have a studio. Now I have a studio. I didn't have all the things we have. I mean, I, even the level to which our ministry operates, I wasn't on television. Now I am on television all over the world. Everything in our ministry increased to the next level. Everything just by active obedience versus passive disobedience, because I'm willing to switch. I don't care. I'm not romantic about the way things are done. If, it, if there's a better way, I'm quitting the old way and doing the new way. I like that quote. I think, who was it? AJ put that up. Fred, Dr. Fred Price said, I, I, I'll, I'll change quickly because I like to be right. <laughs> but I understand because I don't want to be weighed down in some old thing that the Lord's not doing anymore. I'm ready to switch. I'm far more blessed personally, not just my ministry, me and Carolyn personally far more blessed by obeying the Holy Spirit. The house he gave us here is far and away better than the other one that we have. And we still have the other one, but far and away better. Where I live is far and away better. The neighborhood, the house, everything. I mean, everything God did for me by, by just being willing to switch is far better. And that's how it works. When people that are Christians are blessed, they're willing to switch. They're willing on a dime to turn and do whatever the Holy Spirit says to do. My friend Glenn Karam said, don't let your preferences hinder his purposes. And that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Don't let your preferences hinder God's purposes. I want everybody to put that in the comments section. Don't let your preferences hinder God's purposes. Pastor Paul Brady said that. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. Don't let your preferences hinder God's purposes. Because let me just say, 
Anything God gives you will be far better than what your preference was. <laughs> far better, far better. And so I just want to tell you, and I'll, I'll hit these again, one by one. Wealthy Christians that I've been around, they don't waste time. They're generous. They don't depend on their job to be blessed. They're always learning. They're solving problems. They're not manipulated by popular thought. They're thankful versus wallowing in self-pity. They listen to the Holy Spirit and they will switch and change their methods if the Lord tells them to on a dime. And I believe you're going to be blessed. Let me tell you a takeaway that you need to take from this broadcast specifically. Don't let people make you feel bad for pursuing the blessing of God in your life. Don't make people, don't let people make you feel selfish, shallow, irresponsible, whatever, for pursuing the blessing of God that's prepared for your life. It is a selfless thing to pursue it because number one, it takes obedience, faithfulness, responsibility, and work to get where God wants you to be. So it's not like you're lazy, but number two, the other thing is in order for you to be a blessing and an asset to your generation, it's going to take the excess in order to do it. It takes excess. So don't let anybody make you feel bad for pursuing what God said is yours. Don't let anybody make you, and they will try, but just smile and nod and move on forward in your purpose. And then follow these things. I'm telling you, every one of these things that I've given you today can be applied immediately to your life. Every one of them. Every one of them. And my desire for the Victory Tribe is that you be abundantly blessed. Abundantly blessed. And I want to pray for you today, those of you that are watching and those that are listening. I want to pray that this last six months of this year would be by far the very best you've ever seen in any year of your life. But I want you to join your faith with me today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for every person that's watching and listening to this broadcast. Lord, I pray that they would have a hunger to be a blessing to their generation as your word commands us to do. Lord, let us all step out and by faith and with boldness attack our purpose with everything we've got. Let us put these principles into action. I pray, Lord, that as we're faithful to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the leading of your spirit, that we'll continue to increase steadily until the return of Christ. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, to let this last six months of 2021 blow the minds of every man and every woman that are faithful to the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that we'll be so abundantly blessed that it will gain the attention of sinners that don't even, maybe those that don't even believe there is a God that will see what you are doing in our lives and have to attribute that, that increase, that excess to you and to no one else. Let it be unnatural. Let it be so unique that nobody could get the glory but you, Lord. And we will give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, on this Monday, as we start a new week and we're in a new month, I want to encourage you to sow a seed by faith into this ministry. Um, 
You can see there on the screen all the ways you can sow. What we've been saying and encouraging people to do is to stand in partnership with the ministry on a monthly basis. Ask yourself this question today. What is it that I could do? Hello from Nigeria. We love you. We pray for Nigeria. What is it that I could do, or my wife and I, or, or, or you just you personally, my husband and I, what could we do on a monthly basis to stand with Ted and Carolyn as they're preaching the gospel around the nation, preaching the gospel around the world on television? You know, because one of the things we've been believing God for is a thousand people that are standing with us at $85 or more. But maybe you're at the place where you're like, I just can't do that yet, but I can sow $50 a month. I can sow $35 a month. And then watch as God increases you. But what can you do monthly to stand with us in partnership? I want to encourage you to go to miracleword.com and click on the partner page and fill out that section, that form to stand with us on a monthly basis. And there's others that you say, you know what? I could easily do more than $85 a month. You know, it needs to be said that there are people that are doing more. You know, I know that if I'm partnering with a ministry, $85 a month does not move my faith. If I'm sowing seeds, that, that, that's not going to uh, move my faith in that way. I've got to do what moves my faith. And that's why everyone's different and you have to be introspective. There's people that are sowing $100 a month. Some are sowing $250 or $300 or $500 a month, some more. But you've got to do it where you're at, what moves your faith. And see, that's the key. That's where God blesses you. And so I want to encourage those of you that feel to do that monthly to go to miracleword.com and click the partner page and fill out that form because although you can give via PayPal, Cash App, hashtag donate, it's much easier for us to, to know who you are and stay in contact with you and provide you with tax receipts and other things like that if you'll do it that way. Also, if you're just sowing a seed, you want to sow, you feel in your spirit to sow a one-time seed today. You can use PayPal, Cash App, hashtag donate, Zelle, Venmo. There's all kinds of ways and they're all on the website as well. In this month of July, we have a brand new gift that we want to send you. This is one of my favorite men of God to read about, Dr. John G. Lake. I own everything that he's ever written and put out in my library. He was a mighty man of faith and a mighty man of God. And this is the uh, edition on healing, John G. Lake on healing. He had a healing ministry. He had a, a deliverance and a healing ministry. He went to South Africa during the bubonic plague and saw many miracles take place in his healing rooms in Spokane, Washington. Uh, he saw over 100,000 documented miracles in 10 years. And they had to report about it in the paper. It was that significant. This is a man who operated in divine healing. This will bless you. Those that are sowing $85 or more, we're going to make this our gift to you in the month of July. Fill out the form at miracleword.com forward slash offer, and we'll get this to you ASAP. Also, for those that are sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to send you the Life Application Study Bible, and we've got now the Elite Study Collection. For those that are sowing $5,000 or more into this ministry for the work of the gospel, that's going around the world, we've put together what I believe to be the five best study tools that you can have in your hands as a Christian. And we're sending them to you in this custom box I made for you. Uh, this will bless you a lot. This is called the Elite Study Collection. 
and uh, the keepsake box, everything we've done at Top Notch as a way to say thank you to those that are standing and sewing largely. And we love you guys a lot and appreciate you. Listen, this week, Carolyn's going to be back with us. We're back home, back in the studio. She's going to be live on Wednesday and on Friday of this week before we head to the tent meeting in Roxborough, North Carolina next week. And so you're not going to want to miss it Wednesday and Friday at 2 o'clock. I'll be on with you this week in the morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending time with you. I always love to come back to the studio and be with the Victory Tribe. Um, I'm just very excited. Listen, I hope you had a great uh, holiday yesterday with your family, your church. I hope things were tightly packed. I put that on Instagram. I hope you're tightly gathered today. Uh, it was great to see so many people in church at our home church yesterday. Uh, the seats full, people coming to worship the Lord. It's wonderful. And uh, it's so great to see that we're out of this mess and back to freedom. Hallelujah. Uh, I love you so much. Do me a favor. I want to give you one more, one more point of action. Would you send me a text? Let me tell you how to do it. Go to miracleword.com forward slash text. And when you do, if you'll fill out that form, um, you'll be able to put your contact details right into my phone book. This week, I'm going to be sending you something just for the Victory Tribe uh, that's kind of a reveal. I'm going to reveal something very cool to you, but it's only coming via text. So if you'd like to see what we're going to be revealing for the Victory Tribe, you got to sign up to get text messages. Doesn't matter if you're overseas or not, you can sign up. MiracleWord.com forward slash text. We've got a special Victory Tribe reveal that's coming this week. And so I'm going to text it out to you. I love staying in touch with you. Send me your prayer requests and everything, and uh, it'll be great. I love you. I'll see you again very soon. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.